will uh, please uh, turn back with me to the book of 2 Kings and that chapter that we read from earlier in 2 Kings chapter 4. And I want us to uh, look at this fifth miracle in the life and the ministry of the prophet Elisha and it's this miracle of the uh, widow's oil and our title this morning is God's inexhaustible supply. God's inexhaustible supply. You recall that last time uh, we saw in in chapter 3 how the Lord had used Elisha uh, as his instrument and his prophet there to bring great blessing uh, to those three kings and their vast uh, army. Not only had they been, you remember, refreshed with this abundant supply of water, but they had also achieved a notable and and a crushing victory over their enemies. But now as we uh, move into chapter 4. The scene changes uh, quite dramatically. For the time being, we hear nothing more of kings and armies and and politics. Uh, Jehoram and Jehoshaphat fade into the background. And now Elisha, instead of hearing the pleas of kings, he hears the cries of a widow. And Elisha is called to deal with this very pressing need of this poor woman here in chapter 4 in these opening verses. But while the scene changes uh, dramatically here in this chapter, uh, those of you who were here last week will notice there are a number of similarities between what we were thinking about last week and what we will think about this week. You notice that on both occasions we see people in desperate need. On both occasions we see the needy coming to the prophet of the Lord, Elisha. On both occasions a command is given. On both occasions we notice that their need is wonderfully and graciously met by the Lord's. And on both occasions, we notice that they're actually blessed beyond what they even asked for. So this morning, you'll perhaps forgive me if we cover some things that we've already noted before, but it's good for us at times, isn't it, to go over and remind ourselves of the same truths. As God's people, we often need line upon line, precept upon precept, don't we? And we are often forgetful of uh, God's very simple truths and even his... uh, you know, very basic doctrines, and so it's good for us to remind ourselves at times. But with those things in mind, I want us then to look at this passage this morning and uh, notice a number of things with you. And the first thing that we see here is a poor widow, a poor widow. In verse 1 there, we read, There are cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha. We're introduced to this, this woman very suddenly here. We notice that she'd been married to one of the sons of the prophets, And so she comes and she cries unto Elisha. And we notice from her cry that this woman is in a a, a dire position. She's in dire straits. She's in, we could say, the most pitiable condition you could really possibly imagine. Because we're told here three key things about this, this poor woman. We notice firstly that she was desolate. She tells Elisha there that her husband is dead. She's now a widow. And in the scriptures, widowhood is used as a a figure of desolation. We've seen that recently in our studies in Lamentations, haven't we? Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 1. The city of Jerusalem is described there and it's wasted in condition. It's left desolate. It's it's solitary. and, And that city is compared to a widow. And that's the condition of this lady here. She's desolate. But not only is she desolate, but she's also destitute. The lady's poor. If you were to walk through her her little house, you'd see the rooms are empty, the the cupboards 
are bare. There's nothing on the shelves. She, she hasn't got, in a sense, two pennies to rub together. When Elisha asks her there in, in verse 2, you know, what have you got in the house? She has to say, I've got nothing save a pot of oil. This woman is, is empty of, of earthly possessions. But then to, to cap it all off, not only is she desolate, not only is she destitute, but she's also in debt. In verse 1, she mentions that she has a creditor. She's had bailiffs round demanding money. She owes money to, uh, to somebody. It appears that they've been before because she hasn't got anything left. Perhaps, they, perhaps she had a few animals. They've taken them. Then the furniture went and then they've emptied the closet of clothes and they've gone through and they've ransacked the house. Perhaps she was receiving you know, letters that said final warning in big, bold, red letters at the top and, and, and you, know, you must pay now. And to compound it all, we read here in verse 1 that, this, uh, that her misery is compounded here because this creditor is threatening to take away even her sons. And they're going to be bondmen, they're going to be slaves. And so you can see the, the, uh, the reason for this, this widow's pain and anguish as she comes and cries to Elisha. These two sons were her last hope. They were her only potential source of income, her only means of, of comfort. But it now appears that even these are going to be taken away from her. And what a, let's say, what a sad situation for this lady. Of course, under the, the law, people were to show pity, weren't they? And they were to provide help. The poor were protected. They were not to harden their hearts, but rather to open their hands. People were to open them wide and to be liberal in their giving to the people who were genuinely poor. And the Lord had placed that within his law. You can read about these things in Exodus and Deuteronomy 15 and in Leviticus 25, how God protected his people who were poor. Now, it's worth saying before we go any further here that to, to be in debt is a horrible situation. Poverty is hard, isn't it? But debt is, is miserable. And we live today, certainly in the Western world, in a society where debt seems to be the norm. It seems even to be encouraged. You know, people spend what they haven't got. They live above their means, you know, in an attempt to keep up with the Joneses. Money is borrowed and borrowed and we want to live a certain lifestyle. And so people get themselves into debts. And they have this attitude, well, I'll just stick it on the plastic. I'll just put it on the credit cards. And so more and more people today seem to just be accumulating thousands and thousands and pounds worth of debts. But you remember, as Christians, Paul tells us, for example, in Romans 13, verse 8, that we're to owe no man anything. In Romans 12, 17, he encourages us to provide things honest in the sight of all men. When it comes to money, we're to act prudently, but also generously as we give to the poor. We're to act not in a selfish way, but in a sensible way. We're to help those in need, but at the same time, we should never get into a situation of debt. This is a principle, of course, that we're warned about numerous times in the book of Proverbs. Spurgeon said, it's better to go to bed without your supper than to get up in the morning in debt. And friends, it's, it's far better to remain honestly poor than to be up to our necks in borrowed money. Because debt so often leads to other sins. Sins like lying, sins like making a, a false promise. And of course, sadly, it often leads even to theft and robbery. Now, 
it's worth saying that in our modern world, I think there are situations where uh, having debt is necessary. Buying a house, for example, could be one of them. There may be situations in business where it's necessary to borrow money and so on. But our general rule should be, as God's people, don't spend more than we have. And I think it's clear in this situation here that this lady uh, was in debt, not because of some sin, not because her and her husband had uh, you know, lived a riotous life or a careless lifestyle. They hadn't lived a, a life of luxury, you know, spending what they hadn't had. And yet we read here, despite all of this, this lady now finds herself in great difficulty. Perhaps her difficulty was because she refused to bow the knee to Baal. Remember, these were difficult days, the days of Ahab and Jezebel and so on, when prophets had to be hid by their fifties in caves. These were difficult times for God's people. And perhaps that was the reason why she was in great need, because God's people were put to one side and persecuted. But whatever the, the reason was for her troubles, these difficulties led to great sorrow for her and heartache. Difficulty that from a human perspective here seemed to be utterly hopeless. And this reminds us, doesn't it, that difficulties come even to God's children. God may, through afflictive providences, expose his people at times to the most trying trials. He may lead us into the fire like he did with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He, he may lead us right up to the banks of the, the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind us. He may take us and lower us, as it were, into the lion's den like Daniel. We may face affliction through war or through famine like the believers are at the moment in Eastern Europe or through persecution. But there's one thing that we must always remember in the midst of our trials, that the Lord is our Father. And he is a father to the fatherless, and he is a judge to the widows. It's amazing, isn't it, to think that even, um, you know, go back a chapter here, uh, the king of Israel came to Elisha, and he pleads with Elisha, and Elisha says, I don't want anything to do with you. He won't even, won't even listen to him. He dismisses him. And yet here a poor widow comes to Elisha, and he's, his ears are open to him. And what a wonderful picture that is, isn't it, of the nature of God. He is, his ears are open to the cries of his people. You know, it's the Lord who does not forget the needy. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever, the Bible tells us. He thinks of them. He remembers the poor. He sees their need. He's the one who raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill. David could say in that psalm that we read a moment ago, Psalm 34 and verse 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And believe it, this morning you may be going through various trying trials. Perhaps there are things in your life at the moment that no one else knows about. And you may not be able to grab the ears of kings and of presidents and queens and so on, but you can have the ear of almighty gods and he will listen. Whatever your situation, whatever your trial, you can always bring it to the Lord. And so we see here this poor woman and she cries, to Elisha, but moving on, we notice secondly here this morning a good testimony. A good testimony. This poor widow speaks about her husband, her late husband, to Elisha here. He's one of the sons of the prophets. And Elisha, he was like the headmaster, as it were, the overseer of the, the sons of the prophets. And he evidently knew her husband well. 
And in describing her husband here, she says to the prophet there in in verse 1, she says, Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord's. In her distress here, this widow chooses one trait about her late husband as she pleads with Elisha. She highlights only one thing about him. And that one trait, out of all the other traits that no doubt her husband had, she says here, he feared the Lord's. And this got me thinking as I was reading this this week. You know, what would people say about you or me? You know, if they were to select one aspect of your character, one trait about you, what would they say? Would they say that you feared the Lord's? Would they say that I feared the Lord's? Husbands here this morning, you know, if you died today, would your wife be able to say to people, my husband feared the Lord's? We could say the same wives, we could switch it around. Or if you're not married here this morning, would this be the testimony that you leave behind to those who are closest to you? Remember what Proverbs, or should I say Psalm 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, we read. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, Psalm 147. We're to serve the Lord with fear, Psalm 2, verse 11. We could go on. There's so many references to the fear of the Lord. This man here, he left behind a good testimony. He feared almighty God. And we see here a case of the the memory of the just being blessed. A good name, you remember, is better than precious ointments. This man had a good name. He had a good testimony that he left behind. I was reading last week about King Jehoram, not the Jehoram we thought about uh, back in uh, chapter 3, but Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat. And he was a wicked king. He was an evil king. And you read about his life in, in 2 Chronicles, that when he died, he departed without being desired. What a, what a testimony to leave behind. Such was his wickedness. No one desired him when he was gone. There was a bad testimony. But here, this, this wife, this widow, she speaks of her husband. He feared the Lord. What a good testimony to leave. And may we strive as God's people to, to leave behind such a testimony in our lives. But moving on thirdly this morning, we've seen this poor widow. We've seen this good testimony. But you notice a small pot here. A small pot. Here was this poor widow in this extreme situation. Everything appears to be hopeless. Uh, But we must always remember that man's extremity is God's opportunity. And so she goes and she cries to Elisha, the man of God, here in verse 1. And uh, Elisha responds there and says, well, what have you got in the house? What What have you got left? You must have something. Have you anything left? And so she replies there in verse 2, there's, she hasn't got anything in the house save a pot of oil. Just, just one small pot of oil. Just a little bit left. That's all that she seems to have. That's all she mentions. Now the way the woman speaks here, she, she doesn't seem to think much to this little pot of oil. By, by the way she speaks here, she, she's sort of almost like, that's all I've got. It's nothing really, is it? Just a, just a small pot of oil. But what she doesn't realize yet is that this small pot of oil that's this seemingly insignificant to her is going to be used by the Lord in a mighty way. And I think that at times we can be a bit like this woman. We may think personally, you know, what good can I do? I'm just a small vessel. I'm just an insignificant vessel. 
You know, can I, I can't be used by the Lord in a, in a mighty work. And I think that we can be like that as a church. We can extend that mentality to, to the church of Jesus Christ. We're small in number. This city that we're in is so big. There's so many people who are, who are outside of Christ and they're so, so many and yet we're so few. But the Lord loves to use the small things, doesn't he? He loves to take what is already there and multiply it and use it. And, of course, we saw that, didn't we, back in uh, chapter 2 with the cruise of salt, a small thing being used in a, in a mighty way. And we read this morning, didn't we, in John's Gospel of the feeding of the 5,000. There they all were, and this little lad comes along of his lunchbox. He's just got five loaves and two fish. Andrew says, but what are they among so many? A bit like this widow here, what's, you know, what's a pot of oil? But Jesus, on the other hand, he takes them, doesn't he? And in a sense, he says, that's sufficient, that's enough, I can, that's all I need. And he used that boy's pack up to feed 5,000 men. And here the Lord is going to do something similar for this widow. He's going to do the same and show her the same. What's impossible with man is possible with God. God is able to take the small things and use even them. And then this leads us on from this small pot to notice, fourthly this morning, empty vessels. Because of hearing about this small pot of oil, Elisha then goes on to give this lady a command. And he says to her, I want you to go and I want you to borrow vessels from, from your neighbours. You notice in verse 3 there that he says they've got to be empty vessels. And you're not to, to take a few, but you've got to take many You're to get as many as you can. Fill your house, he says, with vessel after vessel. You know, get your big jars, large jars, small pots, whatever it is. Go and gather them, bring them into the house. But they've got to be empty. Now, this command may have seemed a little bit strange at first because empty vessels contain nothing. And how can nothing solve her problem? But that's the point that the the Lord is going to show to her here. If the vessels had been full, there would have been no blessing for them. If there had already been something in them, then the oil would have been spoiled and she would have been left in her debt and in her desolate position. They needed to be empty vessels. And again, we have to say, this is how the Lord works. He loves to use empty vessels. He loves to take those who are empty of self, empty of pride, empty of self-righteousness, and he loves to fill them and bless them. You remember that oil in the scriptures is used as a picture of the Holy Spirit. And it's used as a picture of his, of his grace. And what the Lord is, is showing to this woman here and to, to us even today is that it's not until that we are empty can we be filled with the Spirit. That we can know his grace. This is where many fail in salvation, isn't it? They refuse to humble themselves before God and refuse to submit to him but it's his empty vessels that God blesses and this poor widow was going to see that it was empty vessels which would be used by God and so there's a there's a great prayer that we can pray for ourselves empty empty me Lord empty me of self empty me of my own personal righteousness so that I can be filled with the spirits We can pray, can't we, Lord, fill me. We were thinking last week, ask and it shall be given you. And that wonderful encouragement by Christ, that even as fathers give good gifts to their children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? But fifthly this morning, 
And lastly, having seen this poor widow, having seen this good testimony, having seen this small pot and the empty vessels, notice lastly with me abundant oil. Abundant oil. Elisha gives the commands. This widow obeys quickly, just like last week. Quick obedience is the best obedience. And perhaps her obedience here was fired by the fact that the Lord in the past had showed care to others. In a similar position, you recall, in the life and the ministry of Elijah, how he had gone to the widow of Zarephath's house and he sustained her and blessed her oil. And you can read all about that in 1 Kings 17, how that oil and that barrel of meal, they never ran dry all that time. And perhaps that miracle, news had come to this lady, perhaps that spurred her on in her faith. And of course, friends, that's what all these instances in the word of God should do for us. They're written for our learning, aren't they? As we read the Bible, as we see how the Lord has worked in the past, it should spur us on into obedience and faith as we walk with God. And the Lord had revealed his, his boundless resources before to that widow. And in a sense, could he not do it again? And so this widow, widow here, she acts in faith. And having gathered these empty vessels into her house here, we read that uh, she's told to shut the door. There was to be no prying eyes on this miracle. This is not a public miracle. It was a, a private one. It was going to be done in secrets. And she begins to pour the oil into these empty vessels. And she finds as she pours the oil that the, you know, the first vessel is quickly filled up. So she pours oil into the second and that's filled to the brim. And so she moves on to the third and the fourth and so on and she keeps going and going and the oil keeps flowing and flowing. And before she knows it, all the vessels are full. We read then, it's at that point that the oil stayed in verse 6. It stopped. And so she goes back to Elisha and she explains what's wonderfully happened. And Elisha tells her to go and sell the oil and to pay the debt. The Lord had provided for this widow. And he had done so in a, in a miraculous and a remarkable way. A moment ago, she was in debt. Her two sons were about to be taken as slaves. But now the, the debt can be paid. And God had provided for this, this poor widow. He'd heard her cries. She'd been delivered. But of course, the blessing here, as we said a moment ago, goes much further than that. Because not only was her debt paid, but there was such abundance of oil that she has money left over. Elisha says to her, he says, go and live thou and thy children of the rest. The Lord had abundantly supplied. He not only supplied enough to pay the debt so the creditors were not on her back, but now there is this enormous blessing so she can go and live. And those of you who were here last week, you may be, in a sense, experiencing a bit of deja vu because it's exactly what we saw in chapter 3, wasn't it? God gave water, yes, for their thirst, but then he gave them a wonderful victory as well. He abundantly blessed. And so here this widow pays her debt and is enabled to go and live too. And, we, and what we need to remember is, as we were thinking even last uh, week, and even as we're thinking this morning, this, this oil here is a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's also a picture of God's grace. And so as we look at this, this miracle, we see an illustration of, of God's inexhaustible supply. His inexhaustible supply of grace, his inexhaustible gift of the Holy Spirit. If we would only ask, God is, is willing. 
Even in the midst of our greatest trials, even when we're at the the point of our most desperate need, God is willing to supply our needs. He's willing to give his spirit. He's willing to give his grace. That's what we were saying last week, wasn't it? The Lord is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's able to give and give and give. And the Lord was proving to this poor widow that he was indeed faithful to his children, that he is indeed the father to the fatherless, that he does hear the needy when they cry. He's demonstrating exactly what Paul tells us in Philippians 4, where he says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It's he is the one who relieves us and sustains us. He is the God who is all-sufficient, isn't he, to those who love him, to those who can cry, Abba, Father. And I believe this morning we have a treasury in the heavens that's not made with hands, a treasury that can never be exhausted or run dry. Remember, this is the God who feeds the ravens. He's the one who clothes the lily with more glory than, than was arrayed on Solomon. He's the one who telleth the number of the stars. He's the the one who gives meat in due season, the psalmist tells us. He is a tender father who is able and willing to supply all our needs. Friends, this morning, what riches we have in Christ. What does James remind us, though? Remember what he says. We have not because we ask not. This lady, she comes and she asks, Lord, Elisha, will you not help me? Will you not plead for me? And so we can say this morning, well, how do we receive the Spirit? How can we know the blessing of God's inexhaustible grace? Well, what does Christ say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. As we were thinking last, night, last week with the boys and girls, ask and it shall be given you. There's so many encouragements to come and to ask. Well, may we as God's children learn more and more to, to do this, to come and to ask, to seek his grace, to seek first the kingdom of God. May we humbly lean more and more upon him and depend upon him. May we know more and more of his grace and his spirit as he supplies all our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus.